You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Evans, Georgia, with a mission to love God, love people, and reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at InFocus Church. We hope this message encourages you and leaves you feeling challenged to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God is powerful. To be able to worship him is a powerful privilege. But what if I told you the greatest power in the world to transform culture is readily available to you and I even today? We just simply have to choose it. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that it's not going to be difficult and excruciatingly hard at times. But I am saying that it is a powerful life accessible to all of us, no matter where we've come from, no matter what we've been through, no matter what our background is, this power is available to us. In his book, Culture Making, Author Andy Crouch offers a parable, modern day, if you will, of power about two of the most influential women in the 20th century, one whose power and fame we will never know and the other whose life we could all know. The problem is is that we have been so shaped by culture and conditioned by our culture that we don't recognize this power that is within our reach because we are enamored with other forms of worldly power that most of us will never have and never know. It's like having a plate full of food in front of you and saying that you're hungry because you don't like it. It's like standing in your closet full of shoes and clothes saying, I've got nothing to wear power. We've been trying to grab it since the beginning of humanity. We've been trying to wrestle it away from God and bring him down to our level. Hence the saying power grab. When it comes to power, we look at it and look forward in all of the wrong places. When again, it's readily available to us right in front of our face. The source of absolute power is the theme of almost every story, book, or movie as we're talking about culture and the church in this series. Doesn't matter what movie or book you read, typically there's somebody that has power that's not supposed to have it or shouldn't have it and and somebody else has got to get it away from them or all the whole world is going to fall apart and total destruction is coming. Particularly in the cinematic and comic world, if you will, we see an obsession with the source of absolute power. If you're a Transformers fan, it's the AllSpark. That's the source of power. If you're a Star Wars fan, it's the, the Force. That's the source of power. Or maybe you're a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and it's the Morphin Grid. DC fan, Flash, then it's the Speed Force. The power cosmic, the phoenix force, and probably the most well-known of any of us in our generation is the infinity stones. And all Marvel fans can hear Thanos utter those terrifying words, I am inevitable. Now all of that is fictional, but it does highlight what our culture considers power. 
or powerful as, as well as our infatuation with it. And from a biblical perspective, and that's what we're going to look at, a biblical worldview, we believe that God is all-powerful. Actually, it's the word omnipotent. When we use that word, it basically means it is that God is all-powerful. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, said it this way before sending his disciples, which would include us, out on a mission with the gospel. Matthew 28, 18. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All power belongs to God. The one who created everything out of nothing. It's the phrase ex nihilo that we have used. It means to create out of nothing. Only God can do that. He's the only one who's all-powerful. And amazingly, our all-powerful, omnipotent God has given us the power to create and to care for this world while we transform the culture that we live in right now. For his glory, we're in week three of our series, The Church and Culture. And for some reason, I have no idea how, but my glasses are stuck in my pocket. Oh, there we go. It's got so many holes in it. I mean, who buys a jacket with holes already in it? And this thing found one of those holes. Okay. Culture. This is culture. All of this is culture, and we're talking about how we, as the church, can engage culture properly. That we're looking how to best interact with and engage the culture that we live in, because as soon as you are born, you are involved in culture. We can't, we can't deny the fact that we are a part of our culture, so we're not trying to condemn it. We're not trying to cancel culture, nor are we just trying to copy it or consume culture. But we are supposed to live in such a way as to create, change, and transform culture. It's what God has given us to do from the very beginning, to create with the things that he's given us, because he's the only one that could create of nothing. But he's given us things to create, and so that's what we do in our culture. We create things, and we change things, and we transform culture for the sake of the name of Jesus. We've also affirmed that Jesus prayed in John 17 that as he was sending out his disciples, that he was praying for us as we would go, that we'd be protected from the evil one, but we would be sent into the world. We're not of this world, but we are sent into this world, which leads to then how are we sent into this world? If Jesus is going to send you and I into the culture that we live in to transform it and to change it for his glory, then how should we go? Angry? Condemning, loud, prideful, asserting our power over people for the greater moral good. That might be some people's take on it. Not God's. If we want to know how God wants us to interact with culture, then we look to Jesus. Who is God in the flesh. The life and the ministry of Jesus shows us how God interacts with culture, and then he sent us out to do the same. Thus far, we've covered two ways that we've been sent into the world. In week one, we talked about being sent with joy. And then last week, we talked about being sent with biblical hospitality, which is far different. If you didn't have a chance, you can go back and listen to it. Far different than what we would call in our context, southern hospitality or just hospitality in general. 
And when we go with joy and biblical hospitality, it is a breath of fresh air in our culture today in comparison to the the cotton candy things that we talked about, right, that leave us empty like circumstantial happiness and stuff that brings us joy or these uh, self-aggrandizing networking relationships that the only reason that we're hospitable to people is because of what that relationship can do for me. That's the difference between what our culture says is happiness and hospitality and what the Bible says. Jesus transforms us from the inside out so that instead of cultural norms, we have something that is noticeable and different in our lives. We have an abiding joy in Christ that is not based on what we have, that's not based on our circumstances that we then take into the world. And we also have biblical hospitality, which is what? Love for the stranger, meaning that we love those that can do absolutely nothing for us. That is hospitality. Today we look at another way that we're sent into the world and how it is so different from the cultural perspective and norm. Therefore, it becomes noticeable, which is what a gospel-saturated life is. It's noticeable. It's the most powerful way to transform the world, what we're going to talk about today. The power on our plate, the power in our closet, if you will, that we're standing in saying that we have nothing to wear. It's the power that is within our grasp. We're sent not just to have joy. We're sent not just to extend hospitality, but we're sent to serve. That's the power. If you have your Bible, I want you to look at two different gospels recounting the same story. In the context, Jesus' aunt, from what we understand, it's his aunt. Y'all got an aunt or auntie. It's his auntie, right? All of this, right, she's asking a favor for her sons, Jesus' cousins, none of y'all know anything about family asking you for favors. Now, that's your cousin. You better do that for him. I don't know him. This is Jesus' aunt asking a favor for his cousins. Matthew 20, when the ten heard about this, the fact that auntie was asking favors for cousins, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the problem with cultural understanding of power, our perception of power in our culture, is it's as old as humanity. And from the power grab in the garden, which is really all that it was, right? We don't believe that you should have power over us, so we're going to have power just like you. We're going to bring God down to our level. To the quest for power in these disciples looking to sit at the right hand of Jesus in heaven. All of these things are a power grab because it's our misunderstanding of what power really is. Because our historical human default is to once we get power, to lord over and to have power over other people. And then here's the other thing. When we don't have power, we erroneously think that when we do, we'll do it better than those that do. That's the problem. But power over people has never been God's plan. And it certainly wasn't the way of Jesus. 
Let's look at the other gospel account in John 13, 12. Same story, same scenario. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You, tell, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Who sent us? Jesus sent us into the world. Verse 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus had and Jesus has the better way. And he said, now that you know these things, you're going to be blessed if you do them, not just if you know them. He's given us all power and all authority to do his will in our lives and to glorify his name. But instead of dominating and being a dictator, our power is just like his to serve. So when it comes to people in our culture, here's the understanding. Jesus doesn't give us power over. He gives us power under. He hasn't given you power over people to dominate and to domineer and to dictate. He has given you power under them to serve them. God's power isn't to push people down. It is to lift them up. This power, the power we have to serve is not just so that we can be demure and sheepishly defer to everybody so that people will know us as just quiet and lowly individuals. There's a greater purpose. The purpose is the reason for all that we do, and that is to make the name of Jesus famous in the culture that we live in. We serve to make the name of the Lord known for his glory. Again, we're not going to default to this. This isn't my natural bent any more than it's your natural bent. We create things, and when we create things, typically in our culture today, we create things to gain influence and power, and when we do that, it's usually to further our brand and to further our name. And I get it, that's business, and that's okay. But God's kingdom is not like our business, it's upside down. So like any other amoral thing in life, when we elevate it to a place that it takes God's place, a place that's only reserved for him, or a place to where we don't think we need God anymore because we've got enough of this, whatever this is, it becomes idolatrous. When we grasp after power like it is the answer and our answer to all of our problems, we become modern citizens of Babel. And I know that's a phrase that we use a lot in church and it's like maybe overdone, but it's true. Here's what I mean. In Genesis 11, you don't have to turn there, the story, three through four, but you see this insatiable pull of power in the citizens of Babel. First, they started by saying, hey, come, let us make bricks. Great. That's what we're created to do. We create things. That's what humans do. We create things. That's why your kids like to make things, and that's why we still have that desire. That's what God put in us. That's part of his image in us, I believe. Come, let us make bricks. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower. And finally, let us make a name for ourselves. 
And there's, there's something that's okay with notoriety that comes with doing something that is helpful and, and, and powerful. That's fine. But in this, we see this escalating intoxication from bricks to a, to a tower to a name for themselves, which is an accurate picture of our soulish quest to secure enough power to not need God anymore. To secure enough power that we don't have any dependence on God or anybody else so that we can thrive without the gifts that he's given us. Instead of becoming more like Jesus, we try to bring God again down to our level. And I don't have time to get into that, but that's really one of the sins of Babel. It wasn't so much that they were trying to get up to God. They were trying to bring God down to them. The temptation to rid ourselves from needing God has an antidote, and it is to exercise this specific discipline of power that we're talking about, service. And I'll use a final gospel account of Jesus' interaction with the disciples in Mark 10, verse 42 through 45. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Sounds real familiar, right? We see this in the three gospel accounts over and over again. When we take on the roles of servants, we do exactly what powerful people are not usually willing to do and don't want to do, and that is this, put ourselves in positions where our power is of little use to us. Instead of using our power to control our environment and avoid any humbling circumstances, we seek Jesus in places where no one will usually notice, where we're not going to be seen even as useful at times, and we're not going to receive any accolades or any praise. It's kind of how I view, Pastor Keevan was talking about it a moment ago, it's kind of how I view this neighborhood cleanup thing that we've been doing now for I don't know, moving on a couple of years. Because people say, why in the world do you just go pick up trash? And maybe you've been there and you thought, man, this is useless. What is the point? Why? Because nobody sees, nobody really notices. It's a humbling circumstance. And I'm not going to probably receive any accolades or praise for it. It's a great place to find Jesus. Normally in our context, the more attention you get, you leverage it to get more attention. The more power you get, you leverage it to get even more power. However, servants of Jesus are anonymous and often invisible, and the more powerful we become, the more disciplined we should be to seek out more opportunities for anonymity and invisibility. The cure for our proclivity to becoming drunk with power is to serve in anonymity and invisibility, but not in our celebrity culture. What everybody wanted Jesus to do was to show everybody how much more powerful he was than the Romans and everybody else, wrestle the power away from them, and give it to the Jews. But the antidote to power grabbing is choosing to utilize our power in the upside down way of the kingdom, if you will. Opposite of what the world would say, which would be to get closer to the sources of additional power and even secure your own 24-7 comfort and control over all situations. A servant exercises their power by getting closer to the powerless. 
Another pitfall to service is the easy way we can fall into a Messiah complex, thinking that we're superior to those that we're helping by giving them charity because they're less fortunate. We don't go on mission in focused church to feel better about ourselves in some sort of philanthropic therapy. That's not why we go. We go because Jesus said go. We go at the command of our Savior, taking the lowliest of positions, and sometimes, this is what happens on a mission field many times, we enter into humble situations where we're not in control, where we're having to depend on the hospitality of somebody else, being powerless in our own strength to do or to change or to fix anything, and the only help that we're able to offer is love and grace to those who need Jesus. So just like anything we do as Christians, our actions are not all that matters, right? It's not just all about what you do. When it comes to being a believer, it matters the posture of your heart while you do it. The attitude of our heart. So here's the truth when it comes to doing this act of service, even as it relates to just life in general or the church on a Sunday morning or whether it's going to the mission field, we are not giving handouts, we are reaching out our hands. There's a difference. If I give a handout, I'm, just, I'm not expecting anything and that's it, I'm done. But if I were to reach my hand out to one of you all, typically what are you going to do? You're going to grab it and I'm going to help you up or pull you close. I'm reaching out my hand. We're reaching out our hands, just like Jesus reached his hands out to us. We're not giving handouts. And what happens when you reach out your hand, they reach back to you, you pull them up or in, and that's what we're doing when we're serving. We create opportunities through service where God might divinely create a partnership between the powerful and the powerless, where we may open up the possibility for another person who seems powerless to unlock their untapped potential to be powerful in their own right for the glory of God. Say, well, how do I do that? I mean, the the ways are endless. It's just like I said, culturally speaking, we think that it's only things that are seen that are important. Matter of fact, you can serve at In Focus Church on a Sunday morning. One of our mantras here for decades has been serve one, attend one. Don't just attend, serve. And don't just serve, attend. When you just serve without attending, you miss a part of the corporate gathering that is necessary as a believer. And when you just attend and don't serve, you're not doing what God's called you to do as a servant of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, this is a new merch day today at In Focus Church. And typically back in the day, we would give away a free shirt every time we do a new release of merch. And we're going to do that today. Okay, you're not excited about that. We're going to give away, we, we could give away a free shirt. It looks just like this. And if you volunteer, you can get one just like it. There you go. Oh, that was, that was cold, Pastor Brent. Ain't getting no free merch out there. Ain't no free merch out there today. But you can have one of these, or you can have a Kid Focus shirt, or you can have a production team shirt for free. Just got to serve. Here's what the world tells you. The world tells us that power is for our protection. 
Whereas God tells us in his word that he alone is my shield and my fortress. It says that some may trust in horses and some may trust in chariots, their own power. But those of us who trust in the Lord, in the name of the Lord, he is our strong tower. He is our fortress. He is our ever-present help in time of need. I don't have power in my own strength to protect me. He is my protector. The world tells you that power will help you provide for yourself. If you've got enough power, then you won't have to depend on anybody else. But the Bible, God's word tells us that God is Jehovah Jireh. He alone is my provider. And yes, I am dependent. I'm dependent upon him to do anything that I want to do in this life. The world tells us that power is the way to get things done. And the only way that you're going to be able to overcome other powerful people where God's word says and shows us time and time again that God takes powerless people and overcomes the most powerful in this world for his glory. It could be a Red Sea and an Egyptian army. It could be a a, a lion in a death pit. It could be a giant. It could be a fiery furnace. It could be a Roman cross. Here's what God says. There is nothing more powerful than our God. And there is nothing too difficult for our Lord. And then finally, to see this in action, let's turn towards Jesus Because he not only asks something of us, but he provides the means to do it, which is what God always does by his grace and by his spirit. And I'll go back to the passage in Mark, where in verse 45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Notice Jesus' serving results in his dying. He had to give up his life. That's how he served us. Jesus is showing the disciples how he used his power and the way to greatness. And he gives his own death as an example. Jesus gave his death as an example to the kind of suffering and service that his disciples would be called to do. That's the context of verse 45. It's a part of a very radical call to following Jesus to discipleship that we don't often hear about or we think in terms of just Jesus and the twelve. Jesus is saying, still today, if you want to follow me and seek the kingdom and the glory of the kingdom, be prepared to go through some suffering. That's the way I go. And if that's the way I go, those who follow me go the same way. I don't take the hard road while you get the easy road, Jesus is saying. The road that leads to life is hard, and very few people find it and stay on it, Matthew says. We take the same road as our Savior. It says, he who would come after me, Jesus said, must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But let me point out something that I honestly have really not seen before until this week, which is the amazing thing about the word of God. As you read it and as you study it and as you ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate it, you begin to see things that you've never seen before, not that are extra biblical, but that are actually biblical. And here it is. This is not a call to serve Jesus, but a call to be served by Jesus as we serve others and to be ransomed by him from death. I'll say it again. This is not a call to serve Jesus. Because when you ask somebody, what are you supposed to do? I'm just here to serve Jesus. Yes, but this verse is not that. It is a call to be served by Jesus as we serve others. This doesn't mean that we're not called to serve. We are. Jesus said that. But I think the emphasis here is on what Jesus does for us, not on what we do for him. 
And you see this, verse 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. At first, it sounds like an example to follow, right? True, good. Don't lord it over other people. Serve them. Why? Because that's what I do, Jesus. So I've set an example. He serves, you serve. He gives his life, you give your life. So at first, it sounds like an example to follow, but it's so much more than that, and this is good news. Jesus is not just saying, serve the way I serve. More amazingly, he's saying, serve the way I serve while I still serve you. This is the Son of Man, the Son of God, serving me, ransoming me from my sin and death, refusing to be served by me, insisting on being the Savior and the servant of my life. This is God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, telling his disciples that he has come into the world to serve them. He does not want them to serve him. He's going to lay down his life so that their lives can be ransomed from sin and death. This is craziness. When Jesus calls for radical, self-sacrificing discipleship, verse 45 is the reason. And he says it again, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Yes, this is a call to act the way that he acted, to serve the way that he served, but it's so much more. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Not to be served by whom? Who does he not want to be served by? His very own disciples. He's saying, be my disciples. Don't serve me. You say, well, that doesn't make any sense. He's saying, yes, share in my baptism. Yes, serve others. Yes, be the slave of all. Yes, because of that, this means you're a disciple. But don't serve me because I have not come to be served. I will not be served like this. I will be the servant and I have come to serve you. In your relationship with me, I will serve you. I will be the servant. I will work for you. What? This is, this is mind-boggling for us. Because the next question you could be running through your mind is, why? But it's very similar to what I said last week about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to help us discern how to offer and do biblical hospitality in a way that is both, yes, prudent and then also full of faith. And in the same way, do we think for one second that we can serve others the way that Jesus has commissioned us and told us to serve others without the help and the service of Jesus? Do we think that we can endure suffering of a selfless, cruciform life without Jesus serving us and helping us? Do we think that we can become the kind of people who are not intoxicated by human power structures and fame and popularity and influence and renounce all of that in order to serve other people without Jesus serving us 24-7 as long as we're here on the planet? And the answer to that is unequivocally, there is no way we can, not without him serving us. We don't have the power to live like this unless Jesus helps us. John 15, he says what? I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't drink this cup. You can't endure this baptism. You can't serve each other. You can't become the slave of all. You can't be sent into this world with joy and hospitality. You can't transform culture. You can't do any of this. But to do this, you have to abide in me and I in you. You trust me to serve you. You see, abide Abiding in the vine and being served by Jesus are really the same thing, and they're both living by faith. I know you've heard the saying, power corrupts. 
and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But not God. Jesus is God in the flesh, and he is known as the incorruptible one. And the only way power doesn't corrupt us, like it was unable to corrupt Jesus, is when we allow the incorruptible one to serve us. In our Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians says, God is right now working his mighty power in us and for those who believe. And when we invite the Holy Spirit to empower us to walk in his power, the power to serve, then we are doing exactly what God created us to do. I do believe we know intuitively that we're to love and serve and sacrifice rather than boast and seek our own status and lord it over others. But we will not do, like the Apostle Paul said, we're not going to do what we know to do. Like intuitively, I think we know that is the right way to live. But Paul said, I, I don't do what I, I know to do, what I know is right. And we won't either unless Jesus serves us. We need Jesus to rescue us by serving us, by saving us, and by empowering us by his spirit to help us live a life that looks like his. Now, even today, Jesus invites those who are willing to follow him, to join him in becoming great and doing powerful things. I started off this by saying today that if you want to know the greatest power that is accessible to us, it's this. It's the power to serve. And Jesus showed us this. If you want to be great and you want to have power, not the way the world judges great or powerful, but the way God judges it, then you serve. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. once said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. This is the message of Jesus. It's the power of the gospel. I'm going to come back to something I mentioned a moment ago. She's like, man, who are those two most influential women that you mentioned in the 20th century? In his book, Culture Making, author Andy Crouch juxtaposes two of the most influential women of the 20th century. He says one was a British princess and one was an Albanian nun. Ironically, they both died within a week of each other. He goes on to mention that intrusively, our culture, we act like we know people that we don't know, right? Like, you know, Taylor Swift's your best friend or Beyonce's your, your, your girl. You don't know her. She don't know you. She doesn't care about you. Hate to break it to you. There's, there'll be prayer teams down here a little later to pray for you if you need it. But here's the thing. We, in, we intrude, and so everybody would call Princess Diana. They just call her Diana. The Princess of Wales, there's Diana. But you never heard anybody call the nun from Calcutta, there's Teresa. Why? Matter of fact, she was simply called mother by those that she served who were dying and her peers. And if titles are any sign of power, then Mother Teresa was respected and revered because it was relational. See, the parable of power here shows us two paths to cultural influence, one none of us will ever have, and one all of us can have. Becoming a powerful princess or a prince is impossible for all of us, but becoming a servant is possible for all of us because the Son of God came and served us first.
And not only did he serve us first, but in order for you to serve today, he still is currently serving you, helping you to look more like him. So church, we're called to transform the culture that we're being sent into with joy, hospitality, radical service that points to our loving Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence today. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the servant of all. As your word says, you didn't come to serve, but to, or to be served, but to serve. And God, we want to be like that. We want to walk in your footsteps. We say that, but when the opportunity presents itself, God, it seems a lot more difficult. So we need you to help us. Yet again, as we're going to sing, here we are again, and we need your presence to help us. We need your presence to empower us. Holy Spirit, we need you to continue to do what you've done, which is to serve us by helping us do what we cannot do apart from you, God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe today, right now, is an opportunity to recommit your life to being a servant. It's not going to gain you any notoriety. It's not going to get you any praise or adulation. It's not going to probably earn you any more money. But it is going to transform your heart and your life, and it is going to be used to touch the lives of other people who desperately need someone to serve them like Jesus served you first. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would move on our hearts as a church, ways that we can continue to serve both here in this place and outside these four walls for your glory and for the good of those that you've called us to reach. Let's stand to our feet, church. Let's worship Jesus together. Thank you for listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Evans, Georgia, with a mission to love God, love people, and reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at InFocusChurch. Church.